the scripture reading is from 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verses 9 through 24. Uh, it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 9 to 24. Yes, if you're able, uh, please stand at the, to honor God's word. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that, uh, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you were doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon. Uh, we've been learning for the last couple of weeks, from now until the end of December, uh, the biblical foundations that inform our church covenant, the agreement that we have before God and one another of how we're going to be as a church. So Pastor Rob covered the first two clauses of the covenant uh, the last couple of weeks. And so today, the commitment in our covenant that we'll focus on is a third one. And I, I'm going to invite us, since this is our church covenant, to read it all together. It should be on the screen. Ready? One, two, three. We will walk together in brotherly love as members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. Those words admonish and entreat are not the most common lingo that we use, but really means to warn or counsel, teach, entreat, to urge strongly. And so really, if I had to kind of repackage that uh, into a shorter phrase, reword that, is, is for us to encourage one another in Christ as we live life together. Okay, so that's the main idea here as we draw from the covenant. Encourage one another in Christ as we live life together. And we'll see this fleshed out more in Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. And so as Ryan read, um, I'm actually going to read a few verses right before he read for us, and that's going to give us a context of, of what Paul is writing, writing about. 
So let me read verses 5 through 8 for us. He writes this. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Night is a time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. We see here, actually, that this is kind of stark news. This is kind of bad news, in a way, that Paul presents. Realistic, but kind of bad. So the bad news is this, is that darkness is around us. That's what he's saying. It's like there's darkness around us. The day of judgment, Jesus Christ is coming back, and the day of judgment, where he will judge all souls, will come. And it's coming soon. We don't know when, but it's coming for sure. And in the meantime, there's darkness around us. And what is this darkness? It's both external and internal sin. Darkness is, is of the kingdom of Satan, of the evil one who holds influence and hold on the world to some extent. We need to be watchful against the enemy and be mindful of this present darkness. You know, this past summer, uh, uh, I was in uh, Army officer training, and we were doing a field exercise. And we were in the middle of the woods. And so it was me and uh, two buddies, Ricky and Zach, real names. So Ricky and Zach and I, it was our turn to pull night security. And so what we do is we'll, we'll, we'll take turns and take shifts throughout the night. And our shift was from 3 to 4 a.m., right before we woke up. And so here we are, three of us were patrolling around our little encampment in the middle of the woods. There was a whole bunch of us were like, you know, uh, um, in our little one-man tents, and everyone was more or less sleeping. And our role um, as what we call a fire watch or fire guard was really just to make sure that everything was safe and good. But because this was a training exercise, there were role players, right? Not real ones, but role players who were pretending to, to play the role of the enemy. And so we're training to be in a, 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 a kind of a, a tactical or a combat environment. So here we were, it was three, three o'clock in the morning, way too early, really dark, very sleepy. And so me, Ricky, and Zach were patrolling around, and our one job was to really make sure everything was safe and alert others if the enemy was around. So we actually saw about 200 yards away, there was another encampment, and we knew that the people, the team that were the role players were stationed over there. And so we saw the lights come on, and we saw people moving around. And so we noted this, like we saw it. Me, Ricky, and Zach, we looked at each other and said, hey, look, the lights are on, they're up. So we noticed it, and they were doing stuff. But as we were doing stuff, we figured that makes sense, because it's almost time for us to wake up, because we wake up at 4 o'clock in the army. <laughs> so it's almost time to wake up. That makes sense. They're just waking up. So as we were patrolling around, we noted that we saw a guy, one of the guys, a couple hundred yards away, he started running around the perimeter. And he was dressed in black. And here we were, mind you, we're all chaplains here, mostly pastors and 
church leaders. And so we look at this guy all dressed in black, and in our minds, our exercise uniforms in the army are all black. And says, man, look at this motivator. He is getting his early morning run in before the training day starts. It's like, wow, look at that guy. We need to be more like that guy. Woo, look at him go. And so we saw him, he ran around the perimeter, and then he kind of disappeared into the woods. Like, cool. We didn't think anything of it, and we're just kind of trying to kill time. And all of a sudden, bam! Pyrotechnics, explosion, fake gunfire, blah, 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 right? We were under simulated attack. And we realized that guy that we saw, he was not exercising. <laughs> he was the enemy combatant, and he was attacking our encampment. And so we had to wake everyone up. Oh my gosh, wake up, we're under attack. And we woke everyone up. We ran to kind of the safety zone that we're supposed to get accountability. And then guess what? We're missing a guy. It's like, oh no. So he was kidnapped, right, in this simulation. So later we all get together, we debrief. And the guy, our instructor, who, was, uh, who actually played the role of that enemy combatant, he was like, weren't you guys pulling security? It's like, yeah, yes, sir, we, we were. And it's like, did you, didn't you see all this activity happen? Like, why didn't you say anything? We don't know. We did see you, but um, we just thought you were getting your exercise in. <laughs> oh, pure-hearted, naive chaplains, you know. <laughs> and so we were tired, we were complacent, and very naive. And that was a good learning moment for us. And the learning moment, if I had to simplify it, is this. We have an enemy. And we forgot that. We conveniently just kind of ignored that. And because we let our guard down in a very literal way, we were attacked and there were consequences. This is the context in which Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. We have an enemy. We live as children of light in dark places. There is darkness around us. And because there's darkness around us and we've come from the darkness, we've all, whether you're a Christian or not, we've all were at once children of darkness. And God, by his miraculous grace and power and might, has pulled us from darkness into his light. But because we have that influence, we also tend to wander from the light and wander from the truth. So this is the tension. This is the context in which Paul is writing and exhorting the church. And remember, there's darkness around you. Remember, we have an enemy who is still actively lurking around. And he's not just getting his morning PT either. It's for real. So keep your guard up. And what he's saying is we, we need to be protected. We can be protected by the armor of faith and love. This is not a just generic faith and love, but what? Faith in Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the steadfast, perfect love in which God demonstrated by sending his son to die for our sins that we may be free and forgiven and wearing as a helmet the confidence of our salvation. So we be confident that we are free, that we're children of light, that we don't need to be in darkness anymore, and yet we need to be watchful. We need to stay alert. Notice those words, stay alert and clear-headed. Don't be like us at 3 a.m. Like, huh? You know, 
Stay alert, be clear-headed, and be realistic and understand that we have an enemy and there is darkness. So we have this assurance of faith in Jesus for those of us who believe and are called as children of light. But we live around and in darkness. But here's kind of the verse I want us to focus on that will kind of help us understand this part of our church covenant. There is good news and there is relief that we don't walk alone. Continuing on in verse 9 through 11, I'm going to primarily read from uh, the New Living Translation. I think it'll kind of give us a little bit different spin on things to help us absorb some of these words. It says this in verse 9 through 11. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. So remember, he's referencing there's a day of judgment coming. And when the day of judgment comes, in the meantime, we want to be walking in the light and not giving in to the darkness. Because when the day of judgment comes, it's okay. Because God chose us from the very beginning to save us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So on the day of judgment, not to pour his wrath or anger upon us. But Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So given that, given the truth of our salvation and our gospel and, this, and the firmness of, 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 of the truth of that, so for now, in the meantime, before Jesus returns, what is our task as a church? What are we to do? Is encourage each other with the truth of the gospel and build each other up just as you're already doing. So that's Paul's point here as he's closing out this letter to the church. Remember, there's darkness. But remember, also, you're children of light who are saved in Christ. And God has chosen you. And as you walk in the light, in the meantime, the way we kind of do that for another, the relief that God has given us is we get to do that together. We're not alone. So encourage one another and build each other up. So, very practically... How? How can we walk together in the light as a Christian church in this world? How can we do that? And as Paul writes, for the rest of this chapter, they're very practical, actionable things. But I want to kind of pull us back a little bit from these practical sounding uh, uh, instructions that Paul gives. And I want to kind of help us um, regroup or recategorize these, all these different uh, instructions into more postures. Okay, postures. Why? Because the way and how and exactly to what, specifically how much we enact some of these instructions that Paul gives the church is going to look different. It's going to look different. And then so I think it might be more helpful if we kind of just look at the, how we should posture ourselves. And that will help us understand how we might be able to actually live this out. How we might actually walk together. The first posture of the three that I see is this. Humbly submit to one another. How can we walk together? We must humbly submit to one another. In verse 12 and 13, I'll continue on. It says this. 
Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Or in other words, they admonish you. Right? In other words, admonish. They give you spiritual guidance. They teach you. They correct you and warn you. Keep you, in, keep you in check. Admonish you. So show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And live peacefully with each other. Again, this sounds kind of nice, but this is hard, isn't it? That's why the posture here that I see for us is we humbly submit to one another. Specifically, I think Paul is referencing church elders, maybe even deacons. So he's saying, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your elders in the Lord's work. And I want to caution us in this way. It's this honor, but remember, what Paul is writing about, and if you really study what he's all about, it's done in an appropriate way, and this is what I mean by that. In an appropriate way where we don't put elders or any church leader on some kind of pedestal. And sometimes we have a tendency to do that. Man, that guy is just so intelligent. Or man, that person is so prolific. That person has such a big following. Or that person is so blank, blank, blank. And so we tend to give probably way too much credit sometimes to leaders in general, but leaders in the church as well. And even if, you know, let's just say our elders in the church, I don't think they're necessarily celebrity status, right? I mean... I think they're great. I think they're rock stars, right? But, you know, they're not like celebrity status. It's not like millions and millions of people. But sometimes, unwittingly, we can kind of put our elders on a pedestal. It's like, well, we almost don't treat them like they're human. It's like, wait a minute. You can't struggle. You're like an elder. Like, whoa. Elder walked in the room. We better straighten up. I don't know, something to that effect. We kind of have this tendency to do that. And so do it in an appropriate way, right? Where we still remember these elders are still people. Not supposed to be perfect. They're not God. But we receive their leadership in humble submission as they are what? The qualification is in verse 12. As in the Lord's work or they are, as they are in the Lord. Right? Not because of really any other qualification other than because they're in the Lord. They're faithfully meeting the qualifications of an elder, but really, primarily, they're in the Lord. So we can view the leaders who are in our church as servant leaders who help model godliness for a benefit. And when, not if, but when they fall short, we're also counting on them to model a humility and a repentance that we can learn from. A real vulnerable faith that we can be inspired and encouraged by. And so it takes a lot of humble submission to do that, to be able to walk together, to be able to go to and approach even a church elder or a leader and, and say, can you speak into my life? And it's not just the elders who are held responsible to admonish us, but we do that with one another. Everyone does that for one another as members of the church. It says, be at peace among yourselves. 
Pastor Rob last week uh, taught us on uh, what it really takes to be peaceful and to work and maintain and pray for the unity of the church. And these are always really difficult, isn't it? Has anyone ever read like 1 Corinthians 13? Pretty well-known passage. And it says, the first thing it says, love is patient. Love is kind. It's like, stop right there. That's too much. (sighs) I'm unqualified. I don't, I'm not a loving man. You know, as soon as it says love, it's patient. It's like, oh, really? (laughs) That's the one thing I'm not. Be at peace among yourselves. That's not just a nice sounding thing to say. That's really hard work. It takes humility. It takes gentleness. It takes a real up close patience. And what I mean by up close patience is this. It's too easy for us to keep people at arm's distance and say, well, I don't have problems with anyone. I guess I'm at peace. Well, yeah, if we're not really involved in each other's lives, then that's not really a peace. That's a very superficial, I don't know, neutrality. But that's not true peace. That's not what godly peace is all about. It implies that when we are involved in one another's lives, as we're speaking into each other's lives, can you imagine, can you imagine someone who is just as flawed and as human as you, who comes up, confronts you of your sin and says, hey, brother, hey, sister, I think you might need to call the sin out and repent. How would you feel? Would you be like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm so thankful that you brought it. Chances are, there'll be other feelings too. It's like, how dare you? How could you? you have no right. Who do you think you are? A humble submission to one another. Not because one person is more right or more anything, but as we're in the Lord, we say, you know what? This is actually, as we're striving together in the Lord, none of us are God here, but as we're trying to be godly saints, yes, let's call each other back into the light, and let's humbly submit to one another, be at peace with one another. That's why we can encourage one another in Christ as we live life together. The second posture is patiently encouraging one another, to patiently encourage one another. It's kind of a longer section here. It says verse 14 and 15. There's a lot of instructions here, but I want to kind of help us to see that each of these really contributes to this posture of patiently encouraging one another. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy or idle. Encourage those who are timid, faint-hearted. Take tender care of those who are weak and be patient with all of them. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Need to be patiently encouraging one another with all humility. You know why? Because I have been idle. I have been faint-hearted. I have been weak. Every one of us have. What we need in these moments is a real patience. An encouragement, 
that is straightforward and truthful, yes, but a patience and a gentleness. Elsewhere, there's another instruction that, that Paul gives to a church in, uh, in Galatia. And he says this, he says, brothers and sisters, if, if, if one of you is caught in a sin, if you already knew it's caught in a sin, I like how he says caught in a sin, because it's not like, I proactively confess that I've sinned. It's like, no, I caught you. Like, you were caught in a sin. <laughs> you who live by the Spirit, or you who are responsive and listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch out for yourselves, or you also will be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. Don't just burden each other and just point and condemn, but carry each other's burdens. Hey, I'll help you carry that load, man. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And so, see, these are related. It's, it's a patient encouragement of one another. Patient doesn't mean never doing it. Patience means it's a posture. While we encourage and exhort and warn one another, um, because we need it. There are, every one of us, we can be idle or lazy. Every one of us can be timid or faint-hearted. Every one of us have experienced just weakness. And we need the help. We can't just pull ourselves up. We need the help from one another. And our exhortation is to do that patiently and gently and humbly. Continuing on in verse 16 through 18, he writes this. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I want to bring some clarity in this. How do we patiently encourage one another in this? Um, you might have heard these words, maybe written in different ways. Maybe rejoice always, right? Pray without ceasing. Same words, same meaning. Again, it's one of those, um, and this is no diss to whoever actually has this, but we have to be kind of more thoughtful about these kind of quotes and verses that fit really easily on a coffee cup. And if you have it on a coffee cup, that's cool. Totally awesome, right? But we should just be thoughtful of what that means. And what I mean is this. When we hear things like this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. It sounds great. It sounds very nice. They're niceties. But without proper context, they just remain nice. And they tend to, in our lives, be kind of over-individualized, right? Oh, it's just for me. But remember, who's Paul writing this to? To the church, in the context of community and walking together. And so what he's saying is this, always be joyful, always be joyful. No one's always joyful. Nobody. That doesn't happen. The most godly people I know, yes, they can exhibit a joy, a supernatural spiritual joy in very difficult circumstances, yes, but not always. Does anyone literally just never stop praying? On our own, that's not what it's about. It's not just for you as an individual. Because if we take that individually, at some point, it'll get discouraging. Oh, I don't always, I don't pray without ceasing. I better buck up and try harder. Oh, I don't always, I'm not always rejoicing. I better figure out how to rejoice. That's not the point. 
it's not written to an individual. These instructions are for the church. And so think with me here what that therefore implies and means. That means not everyone will be rejoicing. You might not be rejoicing because of the different sufferings and troubles and weaknesses in your life. And rightly so, you, you might be lamenting. But others over here in the church may be able to rejoice for some other reason. Or maybe they've overcome a similar kind of weakness and a struggle and they learn to rejoice and praise God through it. You might be struggling with prayer right now. But as a church, there's others in the church who are praying alongside you, praying for you, praying over you. And we pray together. You don't have to raise your hand. I think I know the answer, but raise your hand if you've ever struggled to pray. Just moments ago, moments ago, I was prayed over by two elders of our church. They took me aside and said, hey, we've got to pray for you, brother, before you preach. I don't know if they meant, like, we have to pray for you because it's like, oh, man, you're going to about to preach. I, I don't know how. But, but they pray for me. I wasn't praying for myself. I mean, I was praying, but, you know, it was kind of like, ah, I wasn't really, felt a little, had all these mixed feelings, and I was glad. I was glad that when I wasn't prayerful, that someone else from the church was praying with me and over me. Does that make sense? This is not an individualistic kind of command where we have to, like, not beat ourselves and say, like, oh, I'm not rejoicing always, so I have to feel guilty and bad. No, in the context of community, and we'll see later on in the church covenant as well, when you're not rejoicing in the body of Christ, there will be other members who may be and who may be able to uplift you up and encourage you when you're weak and faint-hearted. And when you see, when you do cease praying, actually, because we struggle with that, there are others in the church that we kind of cover for each other. We encourage each other. We can say, hey, let's pray. I'm going to pray for you and with you even when you don't know it. I know that's part of my testimony of how I came to know the Lord. There were people who were praying for me. I didn't, I didn't know that they were praying for my salvation until after the fact. Be thankful in all circumstances. You know how that practically, what that practically looks like? That doesn't mean you as an individual are always literally thankful. You don't always feel that. Yes, we try to take on that posture and that perspective. And that's commendable and noble and good. And yet, realistically, when we don't, when we don't, how many times have we been encouraged, for real, by others who have been sharing and testifying about God's goodness or about the lessons they've been learning? And you've been encouraged and say, oh, wow, you're right. I can actually be thankful in these circumstances as well. So we learn how from one another. We cover over one another. Does that make sense? This is for us. This is for the church. It's not just about you as an individual, but we are always be joyful collectively together. Learn how to never stop praying for one another and with one another. Learn how together as a community to be thankful in our circumstances as you're encouraging and helping those who are weak, encouraging the timid and warning those who are idle. And as you're doing that, you're learning how and inspiring and encouraging one another, pointing one another to God to be joyful 
to be praying. So we humbly submit to one another. We patiently encourage one another. And the last posture that I see here is we hold on. We keep on holding on to the truths of God. We must be grounded in something. It's not just how nice we are, but on the truths of God. Look at verse 19 to 22. It says, do not stifle or quench the Holy Spirit. That means don't, don't subdue or be unresponsive to the working and guidance of the Holy Spirit. When you get that Holy Spirit nudge, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what I'm saying. It's like, that, it's not Jiminy Cricket. Like, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Like, respond. <laughs> respond. Don't quench it. Don't say, not now, God. Not later. But respond. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. Do not, do not scorn or reject these prophetic words. And you know what prophecies are? They can include some kind of uh, future kind of reference, but primarily in the Bible, biblical prophecy is what? A prophet was sent, a messenger sent by God to speak to the people of God, to speak about the heart and truth of God, and to, t- to bring the people of God who are wandering from the truth back to the truth. So don't reject prophetic words when it says like, listen, hey, you're straying, you need to come back. Don't reject that. Don't scorn that just because maybe it might hurt or wound our ego or pride. Don't scoff at these, but test everything that is said. So test everything carefully so you can recognize what is good. Hold firmly onto what is good. And what is good except what comes from God, taught us through his word. And stay away from every kind of evil. How do we do that? We renew our minds and we get to know more of what God's perfect will is. Through what? Through his word, through his truth, what he has revealed to us. I think Paul, writing to another church in Colossians, he clarifies this a little bit. He says in Colossians 3.16, Let the message or the teaching, the words, the word of Christ, and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other, or admonish, with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. How wonderful it is that we get to sing together in the same room to our God. It's for God's glory and praise and to one another's benefit. I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at memorizing the scripture verbatim. If you've ever been in a disruption group with me, I kind of skip over words and conjunctions. But I remember songs. Songs that have gospel truths. Godly truths. Much better. We get to do that for one another. So hold on to the truths of God as he reveals in scripture. Let the, the words of God, of the gospel of Christ, and his teachings, the scripture, and all its richness dwell in you. Soak yourself in that. Now, I want to clarify, this is, what I'm not saying is this. You haven't been reading your Bible every day? You haven't been following your plan diligently? Shame on you. That's not what I'm saying. That's not, that's not what it's saying. Where does it say that? But dwell richly in you. Remember, these people, they didn't have Bibles or tools we do. They didn't have Bible plans. That's not some kind of biblical mandate that we we do it in a certain way. 
I'll be honest, maybe it's just my personality or the way I was conditioned and, and trained in, in certain contexts. If, if I don't have like this yearly Bible plan and I miss a few days, I get anxious. It's not what it's about. But even the simple act of memorizing, and maybe it's going to be through a song, a gospel centered, rich, 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 full of godly truths from scripture. Maybe it's a song that you're going to meditate on and, and memorize. That's okay. And yes, scripture, let's read the Bible. But not in a way that's just like, it's just somehow cures your anxiety just because of not doing it. I don't, I don't know. If that's, not, that's not really, I don't think that's of God. And so it's not saying you better get on that Bible plan and read every single day faithfully like a monk. That's not, that's not the biblical mandate. But let God's wisdom in all of its forms dwell in you richly. And sometimes it's going to come through a teaching and admonishment from another believer. Just reminding you of a godly truth. So let that word dwell in you. Come alive in you. Forget how much scripture you know, the quantity, but is it coming alive in you, dwelling in you richly? So hold on to the truths of God. These are the postures that we see here that we humbly submit to one another, patiently encourage one another, and hold on to the truths of God. We're rooted in his truth. Remember, this all happens in the context of community. We get to rejoice and pray and give thanks and test everything according to God's word and abstain from evil together. We're not just doing this on our, on our own. It's for us. And so I want to invite us to keep on inviting one another into your life. Keep on inviting one another into your life. That's going to look different in different seasons. You know, something my wife and I learned, we were raised kind of in this uh, uh, in a very intensive, immersive college uh, uh, campus ministry. Can you imagine it was like 18, 19, 20-year-olds, and I'm like, we have all day, and we're just going to live with each other and study with each other and go to church together, and we're just together 24-7. It was amazing. It was great. It really was. And it was very disappointing some of you can relate with me. It was disappointing as we went through different seasons and chapters of life. Oh, I can't really have my devotional time the way I used to. Oh, I can't really commune and fellowship with other believers like I used to. It looks different. And actually, in a way, that's very disappointing and discouraging, perhaps. And something that I've been learning, I want to encourage us and remind us with is, keep on inviting one another into each other's lives. It's going to look different. I can't even tell you exactly how, because it will look different for everybody. But keep on inviting one another into each other's lives in every season. Maybe the amount of time that you spend with one another and the amount of time that you spend in God's word will vary. That's okay. That's okay. It doesn't, there's no threshold or magical number that you got to hit. But let's keep on inviting one another into each other's lives as long as we're able. So that's the relief that we have from God. The, the, the news is that we don't walk the walk of faith alone. God has given us one another in the church so that we can encourage one another in Christ. And the reality, though, is, however, in this life, if we're honest and real, 
We should first acknowledge that there is darkness, darkness around us and we do have an enemy, yes. And within ourselves, we'll continue to struggle. We'll continue to struggle with discerning the truth and God's will. We'll continue committing sins against one another. At times, we might ignore the Lord's teaching and quench the spirit. Or simply, we'll just fall short, even as a community of faith. We get sidetracked. And sometimes, you'll notice maybe a brother or sister who's wandering from the truth. But you're afraid of what confronting that person will do to your relationship. And so you just don't. That commitment that we just read together, we'll walk together in brotherly love as members of a Christian church exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and treat one another as occasion may require is really hard. Extremely hard. And some of us may have tried this. And some of us in this room, you might have faced disappointment and maybe great hurt as we tried to live this out in the church. Maybe you put yourself out there and you didn't feel cared for. You were overlooked. Maybe you, were, you yourself were doing a lot of the watchful caring. You were the one who was trying to care and admonish others. But it just, at some point, it was so overwhelming and discouraging because it was like, oh, man, what's the point? It's so hard. This walking together as children of light Becoming more holy and like our God, it does not fundamentally rest on better programming, chemistry and personalities, or our own ingenuity or efforts. It doesn't even come with an excellent knowledge of the Bible per se, and loads of church experience. Ultimately, while God gives us one another to walk together, the good news is that our holiness is secured by God's gracious act of salvation because he is faithful. The good news here is that God is faithful to make us holy and keep us all the way. I think we sang those words as we walk with you. You walk with us. Look at how he concludes in verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That means make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body, everything about you, everything in our lives, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. As a church, as people, we will surely endeavor together in all these acts of the covenant but we have a limit a real limit we're not going to perfectly live it out and the good news is that we already have one who've perfectly lived these out we have the Lord Jesus who 
is faithful, who will certainly see it through, who will carry us on to full completion. The best news is that God himself is with us, and he is the one who is faithful to make us holy completely in every way, in ways that we can't do for one another, no matter how much we care for one another, whether it's in our church or in your own households or for yourself. But praise God, because God is faithful to do it. So as we walk after Christ, God is with us, walks together with us, so that we can encourage one another in Christ. So we can humbly submit to one another because God is the one who grounds us. We can be patient with one another because God is the one who perfects us, not one another. We can dare to speak God's truth into another's lives and correct each other, bring each other back into the righteous path because God is the one who is ultimately faithful to keep his word to us. So let's trust in the Lord as we endeavor and walk together We can trust and know that he is walking with us. He'll carry it through in ways that we cannot even see or do for one another. Praise God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for uh, demonstrating uh, your love for us in this, that um, you sent your son to be with us. Thank you, O Lord, that um, you give us the right and privilege as a church to walk together, to teach each other, to encourage each other, to warn each other, to lift each other up while rooted in your truth. And yet, even when we fall short in doing that, Lord, you are the one who's faithful to bring that all to completion. So thank you, O God, that Um, we can pray to you with an assurance. We can put on this this helmet of hope, of the confidence of our salvation, because we know that ultimately it's you who's faithful, and it is you, the faithful one, who helps us now to be faithful to you and to one another. So thank you for your help, God. Help us, Lord, as a church, as we endeavor to commune together and walk after you. I pray this in Jesus' name.